last Sunday morning in studying, and it was, I thought it was late in the hour because I like to know a couple of weeks ahead what I'm going to preach on. And I didn't know until last Sunday morning. Woke up early, rolled over, and opened my phone, and I was looking at some stuff, and I felt like God led me right to the 30th chapter of Psalms. We were going we to speak on Psalms. We were going to study Psalms, the 30th chapter. Man, I was excited about it. I, through the week, looked at it and uh, worked on it. And Friday evening, I opened my phone and scrolled to Psalms 30, and it was almost as if the page had gone blank. There was nothing there. It was gone. I can't speak to you on anything that doesn't inspire me, and I really felt like God just shut that door. I said, God, where am I? Where do I go from here? It's Friday. <laughs> Sunday's coming. <laughs> and I wasn't talking about resurrection. I was, I was a little scared here, and, and it was almost immediate. I won't try to explain it other than God knows what he's doing. The fact that one young man was saved tells me why, but I don't think God's done working. He led me straight to Galatians, literally right to Galatians. I began to read, and when I hit the end of the third chapter and started the fourth, God said, there it is. And I want to talk to you this morning from about the 26th verse of the third chapter of Galatians through the seventh verse of the fourth chapter about the fact of who you are, who I am. Are you a slave or are you an heir to a throne? Who are you? You understand that slaves and heirs can often have the same thing. Now, understanding we don't have slaves in our country anymore, thank God. But through history, slavery has been a normal thing. It's not been unusual. And when the Bible was written, slaves were common. And so it made for a great metaphor to study. You see, slaves and heirs have some things in common. Often they're young and they can be old. But an heir will typically be young. And if you were to have a young slave and a young heir that were in the same home, some things that are, they have in common are they don't control their own destiny. Somebody has authority over them. They don't control almost anything in their life. They can be disciplined. Both an heir and a slave can be disciplined. And both are provided for. Usually an heir and or a Slave do not have to be concerned with where their next meal will come from and or where they will lay their head. That typically is provided. Just some things that a slave, and there would be some other things, but just a few. They also have some differences that are very distinct. An heir and a slave. A slave is a servant. An heir typically is a son or a daughter. A slave doesn't have hope. And an heir is being prepared to take ownership. A slave 
really has no future. A slave will typically be what they are from that point forward. They'll never be anything more than what they are. An heir works to build a future. Same house, different futures. A slave is always helping with the other's future. And often the heir eventually owns the slave. I want to take a look this morning at the difference between a slave and an heir. And believe it or not, it's a choice that each of us make. Who are you? Who are you going to be when you leave here today? If you would, stand with me and turn to Galatians 3, verse 26. Through Galatians 4, 7, the word says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of us were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And then if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. We praise you. Lord, we've worshipped you, and you've led us in that worship. We know that we have been heard in the throne room of heaven this morning. God, you've blessed us with your presence. And Lord, we pray now that as we study your word, your love letter to us. God, that you would open your word to us. You would give us understanding beyond anything we've ever had before. God, that you would open your word in a new and a special way. You would open our hearts, minds, and souls. And God, you would pour in what you would have us this morning. Nothing more, nothing less. God, we pray that souls would be changed this morning. If there's that one here this morning that hasn't made a choice to be an heir to you, that, God, they would make that choice this morning. They'd not leave here like they came in. God, for this, we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot to unpack, and I'm pretty good at doing it quickly. So don't get real comfortable, okay? <laughs> Pay attention quick. But I want to unpack and work my way through uh, the verses 
Um, I think there's some important things for us to see. In the very beginning there in verse uh, 26, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. If we have chosen Christ, through, then through faith we are baptized into Christ. But it goes on and says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does this mean? What does this mean? And as he's talking about water baptism. Yes and no. Last Sunday we had a baptismal service here. It was incredible. I love it. It was amazing. I love to do those and see and hear the testimonies. And we heard them, multiple of them, how God is working. What that is is a an expression, an outward expression by us of our repentance to God. Go down, come up a different person than you went down. And that's symbolic, okay? And that is, uh, that is amazing to do, to declare to the Lord that, or to the world that I am the Lord's. I have given my life to Christ, and forevermore, that is who I am. But there's more to it. Because this says not only were you baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And I want you to know that when Jesus was here and he walked the earth, we talked about this just a little bit on Wednesday night. When, when Jesus was here and he walked the earth, he didn't baptize anybody with water. His disciples did. They baptized more than John the Baptist did, but Jesus did not. Why is that? John the Baptist actually told us in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, this is what John the Baptist said. He said, I baptize you with the water for repentance. That's what we were seeing. That's what we do. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a reason that Jesus didn't baptize anybody with water. He came to give the Holy Spirit. He came to share that, and that is the baptism that Jesus gives, and that's what he's talking about here. Those who have given their lives to and have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, he infills us with the Holy Spirit. Fire. You've heard the expression, that, that guy's on fire for God. Shame on any of us that aren't. It's available and you can have as much of it as often as you want. We can go get it. It's freely given when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's what he's talking about in baptism. Is water baptism important? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, obviously, we practice it. We think it's important. It is. It's exciting to see that expression and to hear the testimonies. It's even more exciting to see those in fill with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen that last Sunday morning. Those that are, it's flowing out of them. God has done and is doing a work in those people. That is what baptism is being talked about here. In verse 28, then, he says, after this has happened, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. I think we understand what that means, but I want to talk about it a little bit. He doesn't care if you're a Greek or a Jew. 
He doesn't care what nationality. He doesn't care any of that. It doesn't matter. God created a soul, and he put it in a body. And it doesn't matter what the outside of it looks like. Hey, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States with all the honor that comes with that, or you're the janitor. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor or the one who is in the street. It doesn't matter. It is all, it doesn't matter. And, and it was especially important at this time when there was such a, a differentiation between uh, men and women. It doesn't matter, male and female. When we're in the body of Christ, there is none of that. It doesn't exist. That's exciting. Listen, you've probably been around someone that you felt intimidated by. But let me tell you, they put their pants on one leg at a time. And when they kneel down, God doesn't hear them any more than he hears you. Okay, but let's turn it around. We've all been around people we thought we were just a little bit better than. Let's turn the mirror around. And guess what? You're not. You're not. At the cross, the ground is level. Everybody, every creed, every person. Man, I have to stop sometimes and look and think about it. God put a soul in that person. Where will they spend eternity? Whether it's the guy that I want to honk at on the road. He's an idiot. But God loves him. And I do too. <laughs> Just mad at him right now, right? Then you have been too. You know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. God loves each and every person. That one closest to eternity, that newborn. That one hopelessly lost in drugs or alcohol. That's the easy thing. Lost in many things. The one that you and I would look down on. I love the people who will go down and work with the homeless people. That's incredible. That's a, it's an amazing thing to do. God looks at those souls the same as he looks at the guy that lives in the penthouse. And he doesn't make any difference between them. Jesus died for all of them. We're baptized in fire. We are equal. And verse 29 says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We're going to take a look at kind of that promise here in a little bit. Heirs. That means if we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we've given him our life and turned it over to him, then we've been adopted. We've been adopted. And that makes us an heir. And I want to take a look at that this morning. Isn't that amazing? that just accepting what has already been paid can change everything, can change everything. In Galatians 4, and this kind of gets us into the chapter 4 that initially jumped out to me. I want to look at verses 4 through 7, or 1 through 7 there. But the first three verses, I want to read them again. They say, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, 
when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And what this is referring back to is the Old Testament. When they were under tutors, they were under oath. They took, um, you know, the priest slaughtering cattle or sheep or whatever it was constantly for their sins. And it's referring back to that if you go back and study that. But when I read this, I couldn't help but think uh, of my life um, because that's what I know better than anything else, I suppose. But when I was 10 years old, my dad decided to leave his job and to buy an automotive parts store. And so from the time of 10 years old, then my mother worked alongside him in that business, which meant that my brother and I worked alongside them in that business. Uh, they weren't leaving us at home for good reason. They didn't trust us at home by ourselves, okay? <laughs> they weren't sure they trusted us even when they could see us, okay, <laughs> for good reason. But my dad had bought this auto parts store. I was 10 years old, and I ended up in a parts store. Now, let me just tell you that not much greater thing could happen to a young man than for his dad to buy an auto parts store. I was around cars all the time. Somebody was always working on cars. We had a machine shop in the back of it, so we re would turn drums and rotors. Uh, we would, you know, um, press bearings um, and tear engines down. And you can only imagine how exciting and how enjoyable it is for a 10-year-old kid to be able to go back into a machine shop where there is greasy, filthy engines and on purpose be told to get filthy dirty and covered in grease, tearing those things down and working on them and building them back up. And so from a young age, I began to learn this. My dad owned it. I didn't really have a choice but to work in that store. Time progressed, and, uh, you know, I learned to do all of the things in that store. At 10 years old, the counter was at my chin level, and people would come in and tell me what was wrong with their car, and I could diagnose it for why because I had just overheard and I knew and I'd seen it happen so many times. Then if you told me you needed an alternator or a starter for a Chevy small block, I could walk back and get it. I knew where it was. I, I didn't have to go look in those massive books that you've probably been in a parts store and seen. Ladies, you might not have been there, but it, they really are. They're huge. And so we would, we would go uh, and look that stuff up, take care of the customers. I had to do all of those things. But as I got older and become a teenager and learned to drive, my dad then gave me more responsibility. And on summer mornings, I had a key to the auto parts store. And my dad's still at home, and he would send me to the store, our family business, and I had the keys. I would open it up, turn all the lights on. I had the, I had the combination to the massive, I don't know what that safe must have weighed. It was huge. Pull the door. It was hard to open. But I had the, I had the combination. I would open it, get the money out, would get things rolling. Anything that happened in our family business, I handled it that morning. The parts that we had sold the day before, we had ordered new in. I had to check that order off, replace them. Any customers that came in, we handled phones ringing off the hook. I would handle those things. As school would start, now we had the machine shop in the back. And the one thing in a family business, your reputation is everything. 
That means your quality has to be there and on-time delivery. And we knew that, and no matter what, it had to be. So as a junior, senior, sophomore, junior, senior in high school, I would often be at the store with my dad after school till midnight, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was often. It wasn't like sometimes. It was most times. If I played sports, great. You did that in the evening when it was done. If it was 10 o'clock at night when I got home, what had to be done had to be done. There's no difference than doing the chores on a uh, farm or whatever. What had to be done had to be done. And I am not downplaying or bad-mouthing my parents. I'm thankful for what they had me be a part of. It was a family business, and it took a family. Uh, listen, my dad paid me a little bit of money, and I wrote a check and paid cash for my car, a 1965 Chevelle Supersport. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 283 with a Muncie four-speed. I still own it. I wrote a check for the tires and wheels that went on it. My dad had given me enough money. He paid me for the work I was doing. Small. I wrote a check to rebuild my own engine and paid for the parts. He didn't give them to me for free. I had to buy them. I got a discount. And I learned to do all of that stuff. All of that to say this. I didn't own it. I didn't own it. My dad's name was on the deed. My name was on, his name was on everything that was done. But I was an heir to it. And I was helping build my future. Now, when I was old enough and made the decisions, I decided not to stay there. He no longer owns that business. But it was a, it was a great thing to teach and to learn. And I understand a little bit what's being talked about, being an heir to something. Because as a family, we work. Now, we had employees. And those guys would come in and they would work and they would put their hours in and they would get their check at the end of the week and they were going about their business. You see, they didn't go home with us. They didn't come to our house and spend the night. They didn't take a shower at our house. They didn't put their feet under my dad's table. And if they had problems, they were on their own. My dad didn't take care of their problems. And if they got too big, he'd have to let them go, whatever it might be. But when I had my problems, <laughs> he took care of me. And it was sometimes hard. Sometimes he had to deal with me. Sometimes I got out of line. He had to discipline me. He did it, but rightfully so. I'm thankful for it. But I was just the heir. I didn't own it. My father owned it, and he prepared me to take over whatever it is someday. And that's what we're talking about here. Are you an heir or are you a servant, a slave? And we come back to uh, the fourth and the fifth verse here. It says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them 
that were under the law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. You see, there was a a time when God spoke this world into existence. And if you'll go and read your Bible, he then gave it to Jesus, gave it to his son. And essentially, Jesus has his arms around this universe. If Jesus happens to take one of his arms away, this universe will collapse this afternoon. Jesus is in control. God designed it and gave it to him. And Jesus holds it and controls it. But there was a battle in heaven. And Satan fought and lost. And God kicked him out of heaven and assigned him to the earth. And he immediately attacked the highest creation of God. He attacked man. And man failed miserably under that attack. And from that time forward, every person, you and I, every person ever born, was born with that sin nature against God from that time forward. And here Jesus holds the universe, holds control of it. And they search heaven. And there's only one person that can span the gulf between man and God. And Jesus now has given his life. He stepped down, even though still in control. Isn't that incredible? Stepped down to a lower level and born as a baby in a manger, allowed man who he was in control of, to hate him and to kill him. Why? All to pay that price. And now that that price is paid, he's provided an opportunity for you and for I to move from being an enemy, a slave, to ourselves. A slave to Satan. You understand that all of us are a servant or under the jurisdiction of someone. You're either serving Satan and yourself or you're serving God. There are no neutral parties. You serve one or the other. And Jesus has provided that bridge. He laid down his life while in control of everything to give us the opportunity to serve him, to find a right standing with him, to be able to step into that. And now, because of the time that we are able to, if you've accepted that, if you have crossed that bridge, so to speak, that was provided, you can now call God your Father. You see, he adopts those that accept him. He takes them from being a servant or a slave to themselves and to Satan, and he adopts them. And they can now call him. In verse 6 it says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit 
of his son into your hearts. We talked about that earlier. Now you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you can cry, Abba, Father. That's just not kind of, hey, Dad or Daddy. Mm -mm. It's way closer than that. And when you've been adopted in, you're now an heir. That means you're in line to inherit. That's not kind of a little deal. He just took you from being a servant, a slave, an outcast, and has moved you to heir status, something you couldn't earn. You couldn't do anything to earn it. Thank God he has paid that price. It is absolutely amazing to me as I study and to think about it, to cry, Abba, Father. And like earlier, when we were worshiping him, to understand that our Father hears us. He's sitting on his throne, and he hears us. And we see through a veil, thinly, thinly hung. But soon, soon, Verse 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I think that in Romans, it tells it best about an heir. I love this. In Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children. And I'm telling you right now, if you're a child of God, you know it. There aren't any accidental children. You know it. And if children, then you're an heir, and heirs of God. It doesn't say heirs of something God will give you. It says heirs of God. Remember that universe that he gave Jesus? You know, I think we think about just going to heaven and praising the Lord a little bit. But I don't think it's anything like that. It says we can't imagine what it is. And if he gave Jesus a universe and ended up corrupted, and he's going to destroy it, burn it with fire, what does he have for his heirs? He's working on it. He's been working on it a while. It's not going to be a little thing. Folks, we're selling ourselves way short. I don't think we're paying attention to what we really have what's been given us. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, that's a whole different level. He just said, we're, we're in line to inherit with Christ. He didn't say, you're going to get half what he does, a third, a tenth. He said, heirs with Christ. Now, I just believe my Bible, and it says that God will heal people. It says he will do amazing things. And when it says that I'm an heir with Christ, then I have to assume that's what he meant. It's what he said, right? It's what he put in the Bible. He's provided. <laughs> it's incredible the things that God has in store for us. But Jesus paid a, an enormous price that we could never pay. And God says, all of this is yours. You are adopted, but you're also going to have to suffer along with me. And that's what he said, provided, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, you and I get on our knees and we pray, God, take care of me, God, bless. and he's promised he's going to do those things. He does those things. I've been up and I've been down, but I ain't never went hungry. God's provided for me. I'm not saying I won't, but it's very obvious if you look up here, 
I ain't missing any meals. Hasn't happened. Ever. God has taken better care of me than my own dad did. He did a fine job. Let me tell you, God is in control. But we're going to deal with some things. And I will guarantee you I wouldn't make it past the first row, second row, first person in your row, and somebody's suffering. Listen, there's some horrible suffering going on in our church right now, probably on your pew. There was a young man here in the first service. Most of you know Brendan Rainey. He would seem to be under a death sentence. They diagnosed him with brain cancer over around two years ago, gave him six months to live. Right now, he's struggling. Things don't look great. But he was here this morning, and he was praising God for being here. Now, we may suffer with God a little bit, okay? But it's going to be for a short time. And listen, we're praying for healing and believing that God is going to heal him. And what a testimony that's going to be. I don't know what that healing is going to look like. I do know this. I've seen God work, and I just trust him. He knows best, okay? But I believe. Lord, help my unbelief, and I just don't know any other way. He says things, and I've learned just trust him. And he says that I'm going to suffer, and I think I have. I could tell you times where I'm convinced I've suffered, but I probably haven't suffered the same thing you've suffered or you're suffering. And I watch people go through things, and I'm like, I don't, thank God I haven't been through that. They don't know what I've dealt with either. They don't want to deal with it. I'll tell you right now, if I'd have known what I was going to have to deal with, I'd have done my best to avoid it. But God said that I'm going to suffer with him. And if I will suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Because the suffering is a short time here. And he's offered me an heir to a throne in heaven. I can't imagine what that's like. I can't imagine what that is. But I'm sure excited about going and trying it out. You see in Revelations 3 and 21, if you were to go to the app and find my little picture there, you will find this verse there. I found this verse a few years ago, and I don't know about a life verse, but I just know that you can live life by this verse if you want to because there's a whole lot about it. In Revelations the third chapter and the 21, 21st verse, it says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Now that is my Savior Jesus Christ talking right there. And I don't know how long. <laughs> Man, I just, let me dream for a minute because this is what I do. Can you imagine walking down the street of gold with a crystal sea beside you on the way to Hallelujah Square where the throne of God sits? And as you enter into that square and God is on his throne and I can sing and it's beautiful now and I can praise him and I can actually think of the words to say or maybe I can and all I can do is praise him. But if I stand in line for a little while, I get to sit on his throne with him. 
I don't know about you, but I'll stand in line a long time to get to sit on the throne with Jesus. And I'm going to stay there. Y'all going to have to wait because I'm going to stay as long as you'll let me stay because I'm excited about spending time with my Savior. That's what it said there. Do you, do you take the Bible literal? I don't think he was kidding. Folks, we've been, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we've been adopted in. We're no longer a slave. We're not a servant. We get to stay in the Father's house, and he said, I'll take care of my children. Yo, you're going to suffer. Oh, it's going to cost you. I will take care of my children. And I don't know what your suffering looks like this morning, but I do know who's in control, and if you've given your heart to him, He's in control. He will take care of it. He'll handle it. I've watched him at times I've laid off and not taken care of a problem that I was convinced that I needed to take care of, or maybe I should. But I just felt that, you know, it's not yours. I'll handle it. When God starts handling, I pray for those people that have mistreated me. I'm not kidding you. I have. Because I've seen God deal severely with people. He handles things for his children. Oh, we're going to suffer. Brad, if you would come. Folks, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I do know that God doesn't make mistakes. He gave me this message on Friday night. And I don't know who it was for, but I do know God doesn't make mistakes doesn't do things halfway. 